This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Is God not a loving God if he does whatever it takes to get you into a relationship with him, if that is the manner in which he will escort you into eternity, where your life will be lived primarily not on the earth, but with God in heaven? Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Welcome. I'm Aaron Magnuson. Thank you for joining us again on Today with Jeff Vines. We're going to continue with Pastor Jeff's message about why Easter matters so much. This is part two, so let's get into the rest of this message now. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Is God not a loving God if he does whatever it takes to get you into a relationship with him, if that is the manner in which he will escort you into eternity, where your life will be lived primarily not on the earth, but with God in heaven? Would God be fair to let you just go down a road that ultimately destroys your life here, your family here, and the life that is to come? Or if he really created you for relationship, would God not do whatever it takes to get you in that relationship, even if it meant stripping everything you depend upon other than him? That leads me to this fourth item here that I really like. It's a bear trap. A bear trap or an animal trap is an interesting thing because when the bear or the animal gets caught in the trap, In order to let the bear go, you have to push the animal or the bear deeper into the trap to release the action on the spring so that you can free the animal. I think God has to do that to so many of us. To get our attention, he's got to let us pursue our own self-aggrandizement. He lets you go down the road that you want to go, like a Gita Mopasan, like a Harold Abrahams, so that you will get to the end of yourself and you will find out the futility and you will interpret your depression prayerfully and hopefully as the only thing that's gonna meet your need and give you that thing that you're looking for the most is God. And anything you try to substitute, God reserves the right to rip it out from underneath you, to take it away until your eyes are open because ultimately he's trying to save you for a better quality of life, not only now, but in eternity. That's the trouble with addictions, whether it is to drugs or to pornography. When you're addicted to something, The problem is that you think that you can get out of it any time that you want and that you can make a decision along the way that all of a sudden you're strong and you're just going to stop it. So it continues to destroy you. It's stuck like Velcro day after day. It destroys your marriage, your family life, then your job. And I believe sometimes God has to push you deeper into the trap in order to let you out. And he does that by letting you get caught looking at pornography by your wife by your husband, by your employer. You lose your job and then you cry out to God, God, how could you let this happen? Now you think about that. You violate every law of God and then you ask him why he allows something to happen to you when he told you not to live your life this way. Have you ever stopped to think that when God gives his law, that he doesn't give it arbitrarily, but he gives it because he's motivated out of love and he knows if you live this way, you're gonna have the abundant life. You violate these principles, your life's gonna be really, really bad. And so sometimes in order to wake up, he's got to shove us deeper and deeper into the trap until we realize we cannot rescue ourselves by turning to God. That is the way out. Have you ever stopped to think that some of you have made a serious mistake when you think that your entire life and the pain that you've experienced 
is God hating you when in reality it's what he's doing to you in order to get you to turn to him and to compel you back into relationship because this is what he wants more than anything else. Now some of you are wondering, why is the monkey here? He's a cute little guy. I lived in Africa. These things are cheeky. I want to tell you that right now. You leave food out on a picnic table for five seconds and turn your back, they've got it and they run away. They're little thieves is what they are. Well, they were doing some research, not this one, he's okay. But up in the Congo, when I lived in Zimbabwe, they were trying to do some research with little monkeys. And to do the research, they had to catch them. So they created this little half barrel, a coconut barrel, and some nuts and uh, some uh, 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 coconut milk and bananas. And it smelled really good to the monkey. The monkey knew what was in there. So the monkey would come up then and he would put his hand in this little barrel. Everything was okay going in. But when he took the food and put it in his fist and made a fist, then his hand was too big to retrieve to get out of the trap. So they could catch the monkeys and perform their harmless experiments and some great stuff was done. Here's the problem. All he had to do was let go. If the monkey would just let go, he could pull his hand out. But he just couldn't get himself to do it. And God knows that about you. You know you should let go and you'll be free, but you won't. You keep trusting in something other than a relationship with God. You want the job above all jobs. You want the relationship you think is the greatest, even though both are destroying you. So you choose that rather than God. You know what God does? He knows that you're going to need a little help to let go. So he forces you deeper into the trap till you have to let go or you won't survive. All of these things, it's a way of God showing love. That's what's, that's what's most difficult about this. That evil actually affirms the existence of God and that pain is not intrinsically evil. That there's a, such a thing as good pain that I've illustrated all throughout these displays. But that brings me to the third one and the hard one. <laughs> right back to the gym again. We know it, guys, don't we? Let's be honest. No pain, no gain. If we go into the gym after a hard day's work and we come out without a sweat and we're not hurting, we should have just read a book and had a nice cup of tea, right? We go into the gym, we've got a purpose. We want to come out there hurting. And we know if we're hurting, then we've sufficiently and effectively destroyed muscle tissue or at least harmed it so that we can now give it protein so the muscles will be built up stronger than they were before we entered the gym. That's the whole thing of working out. The more pain, the more gain. Now, obviously, you go too far for you professional weightlifters. I know that. But the reality is that's the standard. Pain gives us gain. That's why I love this last display. My favorite story in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Horrible names, wouldn't want to be called any of them. But I'll tell you what, it's my favorite story because you have these three Hebrew boys. They're young, man, but the Babylonians were smart. They knew it didn't matter what language you spoke, what nationality, what color of your skin, didn't matter. They were going to take the sharpest and the wisest men in the kingdom, even if they were Hebrews, and they were going to allow them to rule in the governmental palaces of Babylon. And they have these three young boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they say, these guys are sharp. Now, they claim that, or they claim that their wisdom comes from God. We don't care about that. We just know they're really smart and wise. They'll be useful in the kingdom. And they're given positions of power in the Babylonian empire. And everything is all good until one day the king passes a decree. And he says, I'm going to, all the people in the kingdom, I want you to bow down and worship these idols. Well, these three Hebrew boys come and say, now, king, live forever. We're not going to do that. You know we can't do that. We're Hebrews. There's but one God, the creator of all things. We bow and worship him only. 
And the king says, now guys, and first he handles them with kind of a velvet gloves. Guys, you know, I know it's gonna be hard for you. I know you really don't wanna do this, but I can't have you not doing it and everybody else. So let, just go through the motions. It's all good. Go through the motions and everything will be back to normal. You know, just do it this one time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, king, I'm telling you, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna bow down because our God tells us not to do that. Well, man, the king is mad now. He says, all right, fellas, crank up the furnace seven times hotter. Crank it up. I want some heat in there. I'm going to throw these boys in there. And they go over to throw them in there. And it's so hot, the heat coming out of the furnace kills the guards, but the boys live. And then they shove somehow, don't know how, we're not told, the boys Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shoved into the furnace. I wonder how long it took them before they said, man, it's not even hot in here. It's not even warm. In fact, it's a little cool. Did somebody leave a window open? I mean... They're thinking, it's not warm and it's not hot. And then the king comes over and he says, well, wait a minute, weren't there three guys? There's another guy and he looks like the son of God. And I think, oh my goodness, look what happened. I wonder if God wrote down in his calendar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace Thursday at 10 o'clock. And what if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not shown up? They wouldn't have got to hang out with God. And notice another thing, they suffered for doing right. They did the right thing and they still suffered. But it's in the suffering, they got to meet God. And I'll tell you something else that's powerful about that passage. It says in the Bible, their ropes, their hands were tied with a rope. It said that when they went into the furnace, the king looked down and noticed their hair was not singed, clothing was not singed. The writer goes to great detail to let us know that. In fact, he says there's only one thing that was burned off, the ropes which were binding them. You see, God needs the pain. He needs it because sometimes that's the only way he can burn off what's still binding you from living the abundant life. And as a father who loves you, he's concerned that you're putting your faith and trust in something that's holding you and putting you in bondage rather than in him that's freeing you up. And the truth is there are some of you in the room that need to stop praying that God deliver you from the furnace and pray instead that he meets you in the furnace and you can hang out with God. Here's what I've noticed. Even when I lived in Africa, we who shout accusations against God because of pain do it from the outside looking in. When I've met those people in pain, they tell me the same story. God was there. God was with me. I don't know why I encountered it. I don't know why I had to deal with it. But every step of the way, God was inspiring me. God was loving me. And even when I went away because of my sin, he took me back. He embraced me. And he's been with me every step of the way. And then he said, Jeff, I promise you, I would have never gotten to know God in the way I know him had it not been for that unfortunate event. Now, I want to be very careful here. Let's go back a year ago on Easter. I stood on this stage and I told you something similar to what I'm going to say now. It has been the thing that has helped me most. I do not have all the answers. I'm not claiming that I have it all to get. Listen, I still have more questions than I do answers. But just because there's a lot of things I don't know, maybe that's why God is God and I'm not. I mean, if there's a great difference between my son and me, how much more so between me and God? But it doesn't change the things I know for certain. And I wonder what it was like for God when he decides to create us, you and me. And he does so because of this. He wants hand-in-hand -hand loving relationship. He didn't create us because he's lonely. He had the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He had three's a crowd. I mean, he had a good company. But he wants us in relationship. But as soon as he was resigned, as soon as he determined that's why he was going to create us, which the Bible is clear on that, then that means he's going to have to give us free will. 
Because love can only be genuine and authentic when it is given freely. You can't force it. If you do, it's not love, it's something else. And God knows that. So God, he creates us for love relationship. He knows he's gonna have to give us free will. That's the problem. Because if he gives us freedom, some of us are gonna use our freedom rather than to pursue a relationship with God, we're gonna use it for our own selfish agenda and own self-aggrandizement. Do you realize that? 99.9% .9 of the evil in the world is a result of men and women using their free will to wreak havoc on each other. That little five-year-old boy was raped because a man, an evil man, used his free will to wreak havoc on somebody else rather than to do what it was designed to do, to pursue a relationship with a loving, giving God who is gracious and merciful. You say, well, I want God to remove all the evil in the world. I don't think you know what you're saying. I had a guy in New Zealand slam his coffee cup down at a cafe and say, Jeff, I'll believe in your God when he removes all the evil from the world. And I promptly said, okay, you'll be the first to go. As long as you exist, the potential for evil exists. The only way God can remove all the evil is take you out, all of us. Or he can create robots where we don't have free will. Then we'd all do what is right. But then there'd be no genuine, authentic love. That's the reason we were created in the first place. You want God to remove the evil, then we're all got to go. Instead, what does God do? He says, please live this way. You're going to get along and love each other. But I want you to know, Jesus was clear on this. All of us are going to stand before God and give an account one day for the manner in which we've used our freedom. All of us. See, delayed justice is still justice, right? It may not happen when you want it to happen, but all evil will be dealt with one day by a holy and pure God. And so before you start making accusations against God for the way he works, just remember in your father and son relationship, most of the manner in which he works is illustrated by you as a father, as a gymnast, and as God of the aquarium. That brings me to the last one. And this is why I believe Easter is most relevant. And then I'll, I'll stop. I believe that evil affirms the existence of God. Atheistic evolution cannot give you a moral ethic. It's impossible. I believe that pain is not intrinsically evil. And that God is in a position where it's not his fault we're so hard-headed. And sometimes he takes drastic measures and causes a little or allows, allows a little bit of pain. That worse pain might be deterred, but it's still up to you because you've got your freedom to respond to it. No pain, no gain. But I'll tell you what, Easter is relevant, I say to my golfing buddies and my basketball mates, because one day there'll be no pain. All pain will be removed. All pain. Because we know the one who conquered death, and he's the one that's gonna escort us into eternity, and he knows the way out. That's what makes Jesus different from any other religious leader. And every Easter, I come on this stage or wherever I've been preaching all my life, and I've debated and defended the resurrection. I'm not going to do that this year, as you can already know. Because I have too many friends that say, I believe that it's true. I just don't believe it's relevant. It is relevant. That power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that you'll be given a long life's way. But make no mistake, God's first and foremost interest in you is that you enter in relationship with him and he's willing to pull the rug out from under you if that's what it takes. Because your life is on, based on eternity, not just the here and now. I love Eugene O'Neill. He was a great playwright. He wrote a play entitled Lazarus Laughed. It's a great play. 
It's about the emperor Caligula going around and threatening all the Christians by saying, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, I'm going to kill you. If you don't stop talking about Jesus Christ, I'm going to take your life away. Then all of a sudden he meets Lazarus. Now, how do you scare a guy who's already been dead and come back and tell us all how it happened? Lazarus in John 11, the guy Jesus raised from the dead. So in this fictitious play, Caligula meets Lazarus and he threatens Lazarus. He says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Think about it. How do you scare a guy like that? I mean, really? I mean, he's been dead. He's come back. Now he has a t-shirt, came back from the dead. How do you, how do you make him afraid? So Caligula says, Lazarus, I'm going I'm to kill you. I'm going to kill you if you don't stop talking about Jesus. And Eugene O'Neill has the character, Lazarus, bending over in uncontrollable laughter. And he laughs and he laughs and he comes up for air and he says, Caligula, haven't you heard? Death is dead. Death is dead. How do you scare somebody who knows the one that's going to let him out? And Billy Graham was invited to Conrad Adenauer. Conrad Adenauer is the German chancellor who took over for Hitler, from Hitler. And in Nuremberg there in the third story building, he invited a young Billy Graham. They're talking and Conrad Adenauer is looking out the window and he says to Billy Graham, Dr. Graham, do you believe actually in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And Billy Graham is a young preacher sees this as an opportunity to engage in deep and meaningful apologetics. So he starts to wax eloquently. And Conrad Adenauer, German chancellor, put up his hand and said, that's enough. I, I believe in the resurrection, Dr. Graham. In fact, he says, as he looks out the window toward Nuremberg, outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no hope for mankind. Now here's the deal. I can do this for the rest of my life, but inevitably I'm going to die. Aren't I? Come on. It's empirically verifiable. Happens to everyone. Now, I used to go to a church when I was a kid. I hated going to church. My parents dragged me to church. I detested it because the preacher only had one sermon and he preached it 52 Sundays a year. Sin and hell, sin and hell. So my view of God wasn't very positive. And then later I learned about, a no, no, no. I learned about this God, the loving God who wants relationship, but who in his justice is required to hold us all accountable. Through Jesus, there is forgiveness and grace. Ultimately, we're all gonna die. We're gonna be escorted by Jesus, the one who conquered death into eternity, and we're gonna stand before God and give an account for the way we've lived. You know, it's always been amazing to me that when my friends ask me, why doesn't God get involved? And I say, wait a minute, he does. He's gonna judge every single one of us. And then they're mad at God because he does that. He can't win. Everybody wants to create God in their own image. But God is who he is, whether you like it or not. He doesn't rule by popular vote. And he tells us that we're all going to be escorted one day into his presence. We give an account for the way we've used our freedom. And we're going to be given new life for those who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins through the cross. That is the relevance of Easter. That death is not the end. It's only the beginning of the greatest adventure ever. Now let me end with this. I, I, I don't know, I've told a few people this, but I don't think most people know this. My wife and I lost our first child. So I want you to know if you're new here today or you're a skeptic, first of all, I want you to know I respect you. I've been in your place and I've been on a journey just like you are right now. But here's what I ask you not to do. Don't judge me and say that, well, that guy's lived a sheltered life. He's experienced no pain and he's had no issues come up in his life. You are so wrong, man. You're wrong. 
And perhaps the most painful experience of my life outside of losing my mother at a young age was Robin and I, our first child. You put your ear down, you know, and listen in the womb. And, you know, you play the drums because, you know, it's supposed to be music. If you sing to your child or you quote scripture, it's supposed to remember it after the birth. After the birth. So you play classical so he'll be real smart. Rock and roll so he likes to have fun, whatever. And then you, you, you dream about whether the child's going to be like you, outgoing, sanguine type personality, or like your wife, more shy, melancholy, cleric. Then when you get news that your wife's in an accident and you lose your child, let me tell you, only people in this room who've experienced that know what I'm talking about. You can think you know a little bit about it, but you don't. I'm not saying that to be rude. It's the reality. There is no pain deeper than the loss of a child. None. A parent should never outlive a child. There is no harder, more difficult pain. And when we went through that, I wanted to be the man in the house. I was young and I wanted to show my wife I could take us through this. I can deal with this, but in reality, I couldn't. And somebody gave her a book by Jack Hayford called I'll Hold Them in Heaven. When Robin was out of the house one day, I sneaked into the room, got the book, went in my office, locked the door so nobody could catch me. You can read that book in about three hours and I read it. Man, after I read that book, I stood up, <laughs> my demeanor changed. And I began to know that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be reunited with my child. That's right. I know the one who conquered death, who knows the way out into eternity. And it's not some eerie, fiery place with angels with wings flying. It's not that kind of thing. And I wish we had time to talk about the Bible's picture of heaven for you. We can't do that. But it's, it's probably not what you've always imagined it being. According to the Bible, it's, let me tell you, it's a place you want to go. And now because Jesus rose from the dead, you talk about application to my life, I can stand against everything, man. Whatever the world throws my way, I'm like that girl on the Titanic. She just faces the wind, right? And the wind blows through her hair, except I don't have DiCaprio behind me. Get him out of there. I'm, le I'm leaning toward the wind, man, and I'm standing. I'm just standing. Whatever happens, I'm standing. Even though the, the boat may be rocked, it doesn't capsize. Even though the storm may be heavy, and I know that God never promised me I wouldn't experience pain because it's too, obviously, it's too advantageous for him to get my attention. So he reserves the right to employ it. I don't like it. I don't. And I say, God, please be gentle. I know you might have to, but be easy on me. But no matter what happens, I know the one who escorts us into eternity so I can stand with my head up high with my face against the wind and I can remember and continue to just say to myself what Paul said to the church at Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's going to be hard. I'm scared. I don't want too much pain, but I can do all things through Christ because he's the one that conquered death and I will too. Father, we are grateful for a new life a new hope that Easter brings. And I pray in Jesus' name that those who are hurting would understand it's not final, that you will have the final word, that finality rests with you. And that whatever we're called upon to endure, whatever we're called upon to face, Father God, you are there with us, that we can do all things, that you assume the responsibility, that if you allow something in our lives, you assume the responsibility to go with us through the endeavor to give us the courage that we need 
to energize us, to give us the strength because Jesus gives us the strength that we need and we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Thank you that we can stand and stand strong with our face in the wind and our head up high knowing that because of Easter and its relevancy, we will ultimately live again, that we are in it to win it and we will win because of what Jesus did in his name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.